that's how I knew they were not looking at me as an individual. There was a recognition that the system was going to be completely overwhelmed. There were so many mixed messages going around and it just led to a lot of confusion. Hello and welcome to Switchboard, Varsity's flagship podcast. My name is Isabel Roberts and I'm Maddie Fisher. Today, the A-level results fiasco. We ask, what happened? Who's to blame? How did it affect students? And what are the implications for universities such as Cambridge? First, Varsity's Investigations Editor, Ewan Hawkins, tells us how we got here. So, it was about six months ago that the UK government started preparing for lockdown. Can you tell me how the government and relevant bodies came to use the algorithm that we're now so familiar with? Yeah, so we have a decent picture of how the exam algorithm fiasco played out. There seems to be two central questions here. One is how the algorithm came about, and the second is why this particular algorithm came about. So on the first question of how the algorithm came about, on the 18th of March, as the UK prepared for lockdown, the Education Secretary, Gavin Williamson, announced that schools would be closing their doors indefinitely and that A-level and GCSE summer exams would be cancelled. Five days later, the seeds of this policy disaster were sown on the day that the lockdown came into force, the 23rd of March. Williamson wrote a letter to Ofqual, the exam regulator, in other words, the government department that regulates qualifications, exams and tests. And in that letter, Williamson said that Ofqual should ensure, as far as is possible, that qualification standards are maintained and that the distribution of grades follows a similar profile to that in previous years. This didn't get much attention at the time. In the months that followed, the main issue was how to reopen schools. And this leads on to the second question of why the government used this algorithm and why it was so set on avoiding grade inflation as a priority. Grade inflation is just the increase of good marks in examinations. It emerged on the political agenda around 2005 and was particularly associated with universities and the idea of the proportion of first degree qualifications increasing. This started to be applied to GCSE and A-level exams under Michael Gove's reign as Education Secretary, which saw major GCSE reform and the biggest drop in top grades in in A-levels in 2012. In both cases, talk of grade inflation really intensified over the past five years and has often been associated with narratives of dumbed-down degrees and exams. In terms of the justification given by the government for its commitment to avoiding grade inflation, Gavin Williams set it out in an article in the Sun newspaper a few weeks ago. He said, if we did not do this and grades shot up at a national level, it would undermine their value because universities, colleges and employers would be far less likely to trust them. There are a few common critical responses to this idea of grade inflation and the moral panic surrounding it. One argues that there is indeed grade inflation happening, but this is a result of the government's own drive to marketise universities over the past several decades. And there are similar ideas um, in schools as they become increasingly more, uh, more competitive. A second common critical response to this grade inflation moral panic argues that there is no grade inflation happening but an improvement of on student achievement as students work harder and teaching standards improve and a third criticism of this kind of moral panic surrounding grade inflation highlights how the attainment gap between private schools and state schools which is big at GCSE and A levels begins to close at universities the argument follows that the reason why right-wing columnists are concerned about this is that the state sector is narrowing the gap in attainment and creating great, great competition for good university places. Okay, so the government decided that they were going to use an algorithm to ensure that grades remained essentially consistent annually. So can you tell me a little bit more about how that algorithm worked and then what the key problems with it are? So the system that Ofqual came up with had two steps. Step one involved two pieces of information. 
centre assess grades and rank order. So centre assess grades involved to te teachers providing their professional judgment of the most likely grade a student would have achieved if exams had gone, gone ahead based on mock exams, non-exam assessment, homework assignments and any other record of student performance over the course of the study. And then the rank order, that second piece of information, sees schools creating a rank order of all the students within each grade for every subject. The second step saw exam boards standardise grades using statistical models developed with Ofqual. If the model determined that grades are generous, it adjusts grades down. If the model determined grades are too severe, it adjusts the grades up. When Ofqual ran the numbers, it found that these grades would lead to considerable grade inflation that was not permitted under the government guidance given. The proportion getting A stars and A's at A level would jump up 35% compared with a pre-reform record of 27% in 2011. So statisticians at Ofqual developed a dozen algorithms to modify these inflated results to see which would be the fairest. The regulator just decided to adjust the teacher submissions with the average grades each school had achieved in the past three years. So when A-level grades were announced in England, Wales and Northern Ireland, nearly 40% were lowered by the algorithm. And that benefited private schools. And there's two factors that played into this. The first is that private schools are selective and better funded and in most years will perform well in terms of exam results. An algorithm based on past performance will put students from these schools at an advantage compared with their state educated equivalents. The second factor is class size. Where there are fewer than five pupils studying a subject at school, the algorithm decided only to base it on the teacher assessment. These small class sizes are a lot more common at private schools. And it also in terms of class size, when there were between five and 15 entrants for a subject, again, more common at private school, teacher assessments would be given more weight. Um, so both of these led to a devaluing of predominantly state school applicants. Private schools received more than twice as many A and A star grades as comprehensives after the standardization process. And they also increased the proportion of students achieving the top grades at a much greater rate than comprehensive schools. So there was a year-on-year -year increase of 4.7% at private schools compared to 2% for comprehensive schools. And so Gavin Williamson has repeatedly emphasised that the blame lies with Ofqual. And he said that, quote, Ofqual didn't deliver the system we'd been reassured and believed would be in place. But how aware were, firstly, Ofqual of the potential problems with that algorithm? And secondly, was Williamson warned before results day? So, yeah, we've got at least seven really strong pieces of evidence that Ofqual and Williamson were aware of the problems with the algorithm before results day. Um, so the first piece of evidence surrounding that is that Sir John Coles, a former Director General for Standards, wrote to the Education Secretary and held a video conference call with, with um, the Education Secretary in mid-July where he raised these issues. The second is the Education Select Committee, which in early July raised in Parliament, virtually of course at the moment, the potential risks of bias in calculated grades it is clear that standardisation will be a crucial part of ensuring fairness. The third was UCL, who in a submission to Ofqual noted the use of historic performance data for standardisation could penalise atypical students such as high achievers in historically low performing schools. Yeah, and the evidence just really continues to pile up that Ofqual and Gavin Williamson were aware of the problems surrounding this. Perhaps one of the most disturbing pieces of evidence is that an offer from the Royal Statistical Society to provide two leading university statisticians to advise on ways of preventing grade volatility and the unfairness was thwarted after Ofqual demanded they sign five-year non-disclosure agreement. So a lot of these problems could have been avoided, but it was due to the secrecy and intransigence of Ofqual 
coming directly from the government guidance that grade inflation had to be avoided. This reduction in grades affected students across the UK, with many A-level pupils now missing their university offers. One student who had her centre assessed grades downgraded and therefore missed an offer to study at St John's College, Cambridge, was Charlene. So tell me what it was like applying to Cambridge. Uh, what was that process like and how did you feel when you received an offer? Well, it wasn't something I properly considered until after my GCSEs. Like it was always something I thought would be really cool, but it was never something I considered for myself. Um, but I remember I had a teacher in year 11 who kind of told me, you know, you could you could apply, you could really get in. So, yeah, I applied um, and it was very <laughs> hectic. It was a lot. Um, it was stressful. Um, I remember with my personal statement, gosh, I was so stressful. And then pre- preparing for the exams as well. And I remember I went to my interview and I really, really, really enjoyed it. Like it was so, it was so fun. So can you tell me what your centre assessed grades were and then what you were downgraded to and do you feel that that was unfair? So my centre assessed grades were A star AA and I was downgraded to AAB um, with a B in Spanish, which was actually the subject I was applying for. Um, and the entire, for the entirety of year 13, I didn't get a single B in Spanish. Um, there's no, there were no Bs on my document for year 13. Um, I was predicted an A in it and I got A's throughout the year. I got a nine in it at GCSE. I got into Cambridge to study it. It was, it was completely nonsensical. Like I just, it was actually illogical. That's what kind of got me um, because <laughs> if out of all the subjects, you give me a B in Spanish, I, that's how I knew they were not looking at me as an individual. It was just completely like a statistics thing. Um, of my, I go to a sixth form and it's really big, like really massive. So we got a lot, a lot of standardisation. So, um, yeah. This standardisation was happening across the country, leading to many other students being downgraded and rejected from universities such as Cambridge. Another example is Laurie from Norfolk, who had received an offer to study history at Sydney Sussex. When the government announced that they were going to adopt the algorithm and news of it first came about, did you feel worried? I don't know. I thought it was going to be a very small difference. I thought it would affect maybe one in 10 people because it was a 12% overestimate, wasn't it? They were 12% grade inflation. And I thought, well, obviously, if there's only a 12% grade inflation, 12% grades will be moderated, which I thought would make sense. My centre assessed grades were two A stars and an A, and my eventual results were three A's. And do you feel that with regards to other students, maybe at your school, that a lot of them were downgraded a lot in part because of the school they went to? I think it must have been, because I know a couple of people at other sixth forms who were being leapt up in the algorithms who go to grammars and private ones. And I know a lot of people from my school, you know, out of everyone I know in my school, I only know one person who was upgraded by one grade and everyone else got downgraded in at least one subject. And so tell me what happened next after you'd got your results. Uh, Did you have much communication with your college? Um, Well, I got my results about half an hour before I managed to log into UCAS because it kept crashing on me. And by the time I did, I didn't have anything. You know, I I didn't know what was going on with my university. 
but Cambridge had forewarned me that this might happen if they've not made a decision. And then about an hour after that, I got an email come through saying I'd been put in the summer pool, telling me that they were sorry I've not made my offer, but they'll put me in the pool and they might take me out again. I didn't hear anything from them throughout all of Thursday. And then it was Friday night. I finally got an email through saying that the summer pool had closed and that I had been rejected off the back of it. And that was the first I heard from anyone. So do you feel just on that algorithm and on the general approach to A-levels, do you think that the government adopted a purposefully classist approach there? Or do you feel that this was just ignorance, uh, lack of preparation? It definitely isn't a lack of preparation. They had all the time in the world to do it. And they could call it unprecedented, but they'd seen it happen in Scotland and they saw it happen with the International Baccalaureate students. It was twice precedented within the past month. So they had plenty of time, whatever they say. And it was, at the end of the day, a bunch of Eton boys who run the government. And it just so happened that all of their schools managed to profit off it, while all the others didn't. When England's A-level results day came about on the 13th of August, and the effects of Ofqual's algorithm became apparent, many A-level students took to the streets to protest. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? What will probably be written out of the histories of this exam period of exams under coronavirus is that this fiasco and the government's U-turn came about due to a kind of uprising by students, by teachers and by parents that kind of recognised the deep injustice of what this algorithm was doing and the deeply classist nature of how it was allocating grades. So students took to the streets, they appeared on their local radios, they spoke to their teachers, and there was a recognition that the system was going to be completely overwhelmed, and that this was a completely avoidable crisis. So what we had was universities and schools and teachers scrambling around until the government was forced to U-turn. Charlene used social media as her tool to shed light on the injustices of the grading system. So you posted a tweet comparing your centre assess grades to the grades you had been given, um, why did you decide to post that? Um, <laughs> honestly, I think because um, I had quite a lot of mutuals on Twitter who were like um, first years at Cambridge and stuff. And I just kind of, I just decided to post it. I wasn't, I don't know, I, I didn't necessarily have a specific reason. I was just hella angry. I was frustrated. And normally I use Twitter to talk about injustices. Um, I'm, I'm very political on Twitter. So for me, it was uh, it was more of a political thing than anything, but I wasn't expecting it to blow up. But I think it's just because the word Cambridge was there. Like, I think that's probably why it got blown up, yeah. Yeah, talking about that um, blowing up, were you kind of shocked by the attention and what was the response to it? Was it overwhelmingly positive? I would say it was overwhelmingly positive. Um I, it actually really helped me like um, on a mental level because everyone was like commenting like, oh, this is horrible. This is not right. And at the time, I don't know, I, I kind of had thought like, okay, this is just what's going to happen. I can't help it. I just got unlucky um, and that's the way it's going to be. But um, everyone kind of being like, no, you have to fight. This is not fair. This doesn't make sense. That really, really helped me. And everyone was kind of sending their condolences. And I felt really, really... Um, I felt very supported and that helped. Soon after, the government obviously did a U-turn and went back to the centre assess grades. Were you surprised at that response? How did you feel about that? I wasn't trusting anything because I didn't want to get my hopes up. Because for me, a U-turn would be going to Cambridge, which 
would drastically change my life. Um, so, um, yeah, but then when the announcement came out, I was just a bit shocked. And then everyone was like, call your college. I was like, oh, okay. So then I called my college, but then they like, the phone line was dead. Um, they were like out of office or whatever. So then I was just sitting there like, okay, <laughs> now what? <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, now that you have your offer confirmed, how do you feel? Do you think the whole situation has changed your opinion of the government? <laughs> um, not really. I wasn't really expecting anything better. <laughs> like, that's, a lot of people, a lot of people were asking me that. Like, is this gonna change who you vote for? No, <laughs> not really. <laughs> okay, so you kind of expected some sort of incompetency from them yeah oh no most definitely um I think it was just um an ignorance thing nobody really thought nobody in government thought how could this affect disadvantaged students who has bigger classrooms they were just thinking oh if you have a bigger classroom then you get standardized more (laughs) easy simple and it's like okay but who who has bigger classrooms so um there was no thinking along those lines because there's not enough people in government who actually think about these things or have had those experiences so um, it's it makes sense that they would make a decision that would affect um, disadvantaged students more. The government initially stayed committed to the algorithm, with Prime Minister Boris Johnson calling it, quote, robust. However, following the protests and devolved powers scrapping the algorithm and reverting back to the centre of test grades, Westminster too announced that it would ditch the algorithm. And whilst the government U-turn was in no doubt a reassurance to many students, because it came so late, it did create chaos in other ways, as the government essentially shifted the administrative burden onto universities, and students felt the brunt of it. One such student was Tom, who was hoping to study classics at South. On results day, they got an A star and two A's, the only A star being in art. And unfortunately, my Cambridge offer meant that the A-star had to be in English literature or German. So it was pretty obvious from the get-go that um, if I was going to get into Cambridge, it was going to be because I was in EMS and not because I'd met my offer. So once the government reversed that and the centre-assessed grades were reinstated, what was the response from the college? I don't think they said anything on the day and the response the day after was quite a long email that basically laid out that they had the highest number of state school students that they'd ever had and they hadn't made any decisions and they didn't want any more information from us and uh, there was no replies to any emails that anyone had sent them since results today and they just seemed to be quite focused on their overall picture looked fine so clearly there weren't that many disadvantaged students that had suffered despite the fact talking to other students it we were all state school students who were near misses how do you think they could have improved their response i think just putting some time into responding to even just a couple of emails because none of us got any response a lot of us had very specific questions about things like will we be forced to defer and we didn't get any response at all and just something that felt a bit more human seeing everyone get the exact same email felt really like 
like they didn't want the government to do this u-turn and now they were just annoyed that they had to deal with us and i doubt that's how they actually were thinking about it speaking to my dosh he said basically what was going on behind the scenes and it, it did sound like quite a panic and they were considering people but it that just was not communicated to us so clearly you had a very frustrating experience do you think the college or the government are more to blame for that? I think the overall problems are definitely the government. Um, they gave, I don't think they gave UCAS any time to kind of think about it or start getting things in place. And they didn't give the unis any time either. So I think I think the government played a huge role in it. But I think the blame can't be passed over to the government entirely. I think the issue with the collegiate system was, was that because everyone was doing it so differently, there were so many mixed messages going around and it just led to a lot of confusion. Um, I chose to apply to Selwyn. I was really happy with my choice. Um, I mean, I still am. I'm still really happy to be going because it's a great college. I get on with my DOS quite well. Yeah, but seeing that other people who had made a different choice were now being treated better um, just because of the collegiate system... I think that was quite hard to see. It kind of felt if there'd been a stronger centralised response, that would have alleviated some of it. Laurie, similarly, was left feeling uncertain by his college's response. So obviously then the government U-turn came. Did you get immediate communication from your college? I got an email through like several hours later, like well into the evening, saying that... um, you know, they'll try and process what they can. If we haven't sent them our centre assessed grades already, please do so and they can figure out what to do. But they didn't make any guarantees, you know, saying, you know, because they didn't know if they could fit everyone in. So what we're really seeing now is that there's going to be a really sharp uptake in the amount of students who gain their places. And in the kind of context of coronavirus, when university spaces are strained already um universities due to the binding nature of the legal agreement of an offer are going to be having to honor more of those offers so universities are looking at various ways of dealing with this um that some are offering deferrals um but what we're really going to see is that there's going to be a real chasm opening up in the higher education system because more and more students are going to be able to go to those really top universities and those universities slightly slightly lower down the league tables that get fewer applicants are going to really really struggle and the university college union and um, others working in the higher education sector have really put out calls for in the light of this the government to show strong support but particularly those uh, post-92 universities. As human outlines there'll be many long-term problems that arise due to this A-level results fiasco. Selwyn JCR president Ollie Schoenler takes us through how colleges are responding to this in particular, how they're planning to accommodate a greater cohort of students. Hi, Ollie. Could you describe Selwyn's current policy in regards to this year's cohort and their greater attainment of the required A-level grades? Absolutely. So after the off-call and government U-turn in regards to um, A-level results, Selwyn has again followed a central university in guaranteeing places this year for those whose places have been confirmed prior to the U-turn, and those who have now fulfilled the conditions of their offer by virtue of Ofqual reverting to centre-assessed grades um, will receive a place at Cambridge either this year or 
in the case of there not being capacity next year. But fortunately, thanks to the hard work of the college's administration to really stretch capacity to its limits, as well as a small number of students voluntarily deferring their place to next year, the college has now confirmed that it will not force any students to defer their place to next year. That's really good news. So you've been part of some of the meetings, planning for coronavirus prevention, and of course the larger year group the college will have come October. So what practical measures are being taken by the college to respond to these issues? Yes, so since June, I've been a member of the college's COVID recovery task force. Um, And through this group, as well as through other meetings and discussions with the college's senior administration, I've had some input in the way that the college has been handling the whole situation, um, particularly with regards to operational issues, like trying to run accommodation in a COVID-secure way. Because it's a bit of a difficult situation for the college at the moment, because there are two contradictory pressures. Firstly, the college has accepted a significantly bigger first-year cohort than usual, in order to avoid disadvantaging those whose initial grades were unfairly impacted by the off-call algorithm. However, at the same time, um, the college's operational capacities are already being tested by the need for social distancing around the college. But to respond to these issues, particularly with regards to the bigger cohort, um, the key thing has just been finding rooms for all the freshers, but also trying to find rooms for all the freshers in Crips Court. So Selwyn has a block of accommodation called Crips Court, Um, And it has a policy of having all the freshers live there together because it's just very nice and a good way for people to make friends to all be living with each other in first year. And in order to find rooms for all the new freshers and for the bigger cohort in Crips Court, there's been kind of internal rearrangement of some of the college's accommodations in terms of who lives where. Apart from that, just more on the COVID side of things, um, the issue has been, well, how accommodation is going to work um, with social distancing. Um, And the college has followed the line of most of the other Cambridge colleges in splitting up its accommodation into households. The idea being that a household is a group of people with whom you live and you don't need to socially distance with, um, but you would still have to socially distance from everyone else. Um, And part of this task has been going through the accommodation and seeing what kinds of households you could create so that people can socially distance from other households, but still have a group of people and a support network with whom they don't have to socially distance with. Okay, cool. That makes sense. So the college hasn't actually bought any more accommodation. They're just rearranging kind of who lives there and the the guidelines that go with it. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think it would be very difficult to purchase new accommodation at such short notice um, before the start of term in September and October particularly as the college would also have to make sure that accommodation lives up to student accommodation, kind of compliance obligations. Um, So instead of buying new accommodation, the college's focus has been on kind of internally rearranging its accommodation um, to make room for all the freshers. That's understandable. Um, How much of a centralised response, would you say, has been taken Uh, Because there have been some complaints of kind of discrepancies across colleges um, and compared to universities like Oxford, where some colleges kind of immediately said they would take people. Would you say there's been a universal policy? Um, As I have experienced the issue and in discussions I've had, it seems like the more admissions 
side of things has been a centralised university um, issue, particularly with respect to the policies that the university will apply to deciding which students to accept and reject. Um, and I imagine that it has been such a centralised procedure because of the need for standardised admissions across faculties, um, because it would be unfair for a student to not be accepted, be, but an, another student at another college to be accepted by virtue of there being different admissions policies at different colleges. However, for the issue of finding capacity for students, that's very much a local college issue, because naturally each college will have its own accommodations and its own capacity limits. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and finally, what would you say will be the biggest challenge for Cambridge next year? I think the challenge for all students as we return to Cambridge in September and October um, will be to really do what we can to have the best possible experience and still experience the, the great things about Cambridge life, despite the constraints of public health and of the whole coronavirus pandemic. It seems then that Cambridge are and continue to be putting measures in place to respond to the A-level results fiasco. Despite this, some students continue to be negatively affected by the situation. Do you feel that the events over the last week have changed your opinion of Cambridge and your college? Definitely, yeah. I would love to say it hasn't, but we all knew that the algorithm was going to be flawed. And we knew from the start that, you know, even Cambridge were telling me that the algorithm was flawed and that they weren't going to base everything on grades because it's Cambridge. They do interviews, they do exams, they do everything to check that you're good enough. Honestly, I think it's more affected my opinion of myself and where I belong because it was like, I think it really, really took a toll on me because I had told myself beforehand that, you know, I wasn't good enough. And then I kind of was like, yeah, I'm good enough. And then I got cheated out of a place. Like it wasn't even because I sat an exam and I messed it up fairs like that happened but it was just completely to do with bad luck and that I think that's really 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 affected me in terms of because like as well a lot of people like from freshers group chats were like oh did you get in and it's like no I didn't I actually got rejected um and that's what happened to me I went through all the emotions of a rejection like that's psychologically my brain is still trying to process the fact that I was rejected um and that's not something that can be undone very easily. Thank you for listening. You can read more on this topic at varsity.co.uk. Thank you to our contributors. Varsity Investigations Editor Ewan, our students Tom, Laurie and Charlene. And JCR President Ollie. Thanks also to our Switchboard production team, Georgia Goebel, Tilly Head, Cameron White, Alex Oxford, Matthew Jeffries and Matthew Cavallini.